teaching lately on the subject, the sin of doubting. So interesting to me as I read the scripture to see how many times the Lord Jesus got so upset about men's unbelief and doubt. Because without faith it's impossible to please God. We must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We have to really believe that he is before we'll really diligently seek him. And he says, when we seek him with our whole heart, we'll surely find him. And he said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I think one of the greatest problems that I'm seeing within the body of Christ today is twofold. Many of the true sheep have given up trying to hear the shepherd's voice. They're just going from day to day to day. And then others have gone over into the occult realm and the Eastern religion realm to try to hear God talk to them about what color of socks they should wear in the morning. Gone to the other extreme. And I think it's time that God's people begin to seek his face and begin to listen and expect to hear him speak to them and believe that he does want to talk to them, he does want to share with them, give them instruction and guidance each day. We've talked thus far about two things that Christians do have areas of doubt in. The first one was many Christians doubt their salvation. And of course, if the enemy can't keep you away from the Lord, if he can keep you doubting the fact that you are saved, he'll keep your mouth shut that way and you won't witness to others. The second one was the fact that we doubt God's love and concern for us. We talked about that last week. And a portion of scripture that I was reading this week jumped out at me concerning that. And let me just add that to what was said last week concerning our doubting God's love and care. And it's found in Psalm 78. Psalm 78 beginning with verse 20, talking about the many disobediences of the children of Israel in the wilderness. And you can actually start with verse 16. He said, He brought streams also out of the rock. Psalm 78, 16. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against Him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lusts. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. And what they're saying is, Why can't he give bread also? And why can't he provide flesh for his people also? Is what they were saying. Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Another translation says they did not trust that he cared for them. They did not believe that he cared for them. I'll tell you, when we deny God's love and God's care, we get into a difficult situation. The scripture says to New Testament believers, don't murmur and don't complain like they did in the Old Testament, because in reality what you're saying is, I don't trust God. I'm yelling at him and I'm getting upset because I can't trust him. We have no reason not to trust the Lord. He says His mercies are from everlasting to everlasting. He says He loves us with an everlasting love. Most of the time, our agitation in a time like that is because we're not getting our own way. Do you know that? God's not doing for us what we want Him to do. I've talked to young people from time to time, and I've had them tell me why they were upset with their parents. Basically, it's for selfish reasons. They wanted to do thus and such, and their parents wouldn't let them do it. And they go around telling me they love me. And I thought, how much that's like some Christians. Because they can't do what they want to do, and God's keeping them from doing it because He loves them so much. 
they begin to murmur and complain and begin to confess that God doesn't really love them and God doesn't really care for them. Now, quickly, the third thing, third aspect of it is we doubt God's promises. You know, when we doubt something that God has already said, we are in reality doing what? Calling God a liar. They say, I would never do that. But we do it when we don't believe what God has promised in his word for us. Say, well, I'm just not sure it's going to happen. Did God say it? Can I appropriate it? Is it for me? Look at Numbers, the 23rd chapter. Good verse to underscore. Numbers, the 23rd chapter. Verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Powerful, isn't it? If God said it, that settles it. Not God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. God said it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. He will do it if he says it in his word. Absolutely, unequivocally, without question, he will do it. But now the problem that comes in is to discern which promises are ours. Which promises are ours? You say, well, what are you trying to say? Well, I've brought some of these illustrations out before. It is not mine to go down to the sea and stick my rod out over the sea and expect it to open. How many of you believe that if God told me to go down to the sea and thrust out my rod that I had in my hand over the sea and that it would part, how many of you believe it would part then? If God definitely said it to me, to me, now, if he said it to Sarah, and I did it, it wouldn't necessarily work, would it? He said it to Moses. We've got to get this truth down in our hearts. You see, and I'm saying this because a lot of faith teachers will give you a lot of these little formulas that are supposed to work all the time, but the formula that's going to work is when God tells you or me something, either in his word, and it can be applied to me personally, or he tells me directly something, then I can operate by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema. God speaking to me. Very important. You see, a lot of people have become very disillusioned because they said, I prayed and prayed and I believed and believed and believed and nothing happened. And I said, well, why did you start? I just wanted it so badly to happen. Well, did God give you a word? Did God give you a promise that you could claim for yourself? Well, I, he just said, what sort of things you desire when you have? I said, but God says, you put him first. The desires you have will be his desires, not just yours. I really believe, and I've said, Lord, I wish you'd do it for me every day of the year. I wish you'd speak to me as clearly every day of the year as you did the night you spoke to me to pray for Bonnie. Yeah. I'd give anything for that, Lord, if it just happened all the time. But it hasn't, and that's why I haven't seen the same thing happen in the body, and I wish I could understand why. And I'm asking the Lord why, and I'd like to get an answer from him. But in the meantime, until he does, I know that that's when things happen, when God speaks to me directly, personally, and says, go and do this and that. Jesus said, I do nothing except the Father tell me to do it. I do nothing of myself. It's the Father that does the works through me. See, that has to be included in faith. We have to have faith in what God has said in his word, and that which would Apply to us. Now, Paul the Apostle on the ship when it was, he found out, he told him, he said, you better not go out because it can cause a lot of harm to us and everything might be lost. And they wouldn't listen to him, but they went into the sea again 
And you remember that the great storm came up and it, they were driven and they had to take down all the masts and they were in horrible circumstances in this terrible storm. Paul prayed and God spoke to Paul and said that there will be no life lost on this ship if you'll do what I tell you to do. This is what God told me to do. Now the men by that time were so desperate they were willing to do whatever Paul told them to do. When they did it, none were lost. How many of you know that someone on the Titanic could have gotten into trouble if they'd have stood on the top deck and tried to repeat what Paul said. Stay on the ship and no one, no life will be lost. Well, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ and that's what Paul did when he was on the ship, so I'm saying the same thing with the same authority. You know, he'd have been in trouble. See what I'm saying? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing is when God causes that verse to become real to you personally. Causes that promise to become real to you personally. Gives you direct orders to go do thus and such. When you do that, your feet can still be on the ground. Okay, what does God promise us? Just a few things that God promises. First of all, God promises you and me, if we're believers, He promises us peace. When I think of all the Christians today who are on nerve pills, uppers and downers and sidewards and everything else, and they can't sleep at night, and then can't stay awake in the daytime, and they're frustrated and nervous and everything else, I think, where did they miss the promise that God gave to them, His peace? Look with me at John 16. Now, by the way, you can write your name in this promise. If you're a believer, you can write your name in this promise. John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now, note two words in that verse and underline them. In me. In me. In me you'll have peace. Not in the world will you have peace. Not doing your own thing will you have peace. Because the world, it says, is full of tribulation. And I told you before, that means a threshing sledge which separates grain from straw. In the Greek, it's thalipsis, means pressing together, pressure. And the harder you press, the more the joy will flow out of you when you're in Christ. He says, the peace is yours. Look at John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now let me ask you something. Is this promise applicable? Can it be applied to you and me personally? Let me ask you something. If Christ said that his followers are to have peace, and you and I do not have peace, are we operating in disobedience or doubt? The problem is we many times want to do our own thing and have our own way and at the same time have peace. But he said, it's in me. I've caused you to have peace with God. I have stopped the animosity between you and God. I've provided the sacrifice for your sins so that you can be justified in God's sight. But now, by dwelling in me and functioning in me and my word dwelling in you, you can have peace. It's yours. I promise it to you. That's a promise that you and I can receive where no matter what the storm might be, no matter how difficult the situation might be. I've had people say to you, why aren't you all in a turmoil and in a dither? And sometimes I'm kind of taken back when they say that. I say, well, why should I be? Well, you've got some 
fairly harsh circumstances and situations you've gone through in the past few years. I said, but I have a Savior that's all sufficient. Well, yes, I understand that, but uh, I mean, and they go on and on. I said, wait a minute. In the midst of a storm, if I don't have peace, then what I have is not genuine. Peace I give unto you. My peace I give unto you. Not like the world gives. Peace based upon circumstances. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If we really believe that we are operating and walking in God's presence, and he says, whereas the apple of his eye, he watches us every day, we really believe that he has a purpose and a plan for our life, and we believe what James says, are you going through difficult times and testings and trials? Don't try to squirm out of them. Let patience have its perfect work. If we believe that, we can get up and say, Lord, thank you for the opportunity for patience to be perfected in my life. Thank you that in the midst of this you love me and you have a plan and a purpose for my life and I am thanking you ahead of time that I don't have to be in a turmoil and in a dither. The peace of God that passes all understanding can keep my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Regardless of the circumstances. I'm telling you, if it weren't so pitiful, I, it would be humorous. But there are sometimes I've called different people and, and I won't say who, but I, I've called some people when I first call them, they'll answer the phone and say, Hello. Just barely breathe it out. I say, hi, how are you doing? Oh, pretty well. And what's happening? And, and then, of course, they take the next 30 minutes to tell me everything is happening. I start in talking to them about the things of the Lord and the good things. And before long, they're just talking just as freely as they can possibly. Everything's going great. I have a word of prayer with them. And hang up. And it, it's just almost humorous. Because when they call, they've been down under and they've been just soaking in their own self-pity. And God doesn't know where they are, and God isn't fair, and all these things. And before you hang up, they're just fine. What happened? You got their minds off of them and their problem, got them to start thinking about how good God is to them, and their voice comes right up, and they've got to bounce in their, their walk again. And I think, why should they go through life like that until somebody comes along and pumps them up? Why don't they learn to walk in the light, as he is in the light, and believe that God is in our circumstances, and God will bring us through. Doubt is sin. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Doubt is sin. If we are operating in our stewardship faithfully before God with the tithes and offerings and asking Him what to do with 100% of what He gives to us, we can stand and with confidence say, My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, he didn't say all my want. He said my need. And someone says, well, this need isn't met. Well, then it must not be a need. Yes, it's a need. No, you say it's a need, but God evidently doesn't think it is because he said he will supply your need. And if it isn't being supplied, relabel it. Say, okay, God, that's not a need. That's a, a want. And then there's some people, of course, God provides for their needs and they take it out and spend them on wants and then wonder why they don't have enough for their needs. I've seen some people who foolishly spend monies for frivolous things and then blame God that their needs aren't met. You hear me? Well, I just wanted to, I've never been able to do that, and I just wanted to do that in the worst way, so I just went, I just got wild and I went and did it. Did God tell you to do it? Well, no, but everybody else is doing it, but did God tell you to do it? Well, I know that other preacher down the street or that neighbor up the street, they just got this nice new car, and it's nice, and I've never had a new car. Well, did God tell you you're supposed to get a new car? Well, I don't know, but it sure is nice to drive. Well, I said, well, and enjoy it, but in the meantime, don't grumble if your needs aren't met. If you can't afford it, and God didn't provide it for you, and God didn't tell you to go get it, and your other needs aren't being met, don't blame God. 
You say, well, that's not faith. Oh, yes, it is. Faith has a lot of common sense to it. Right now, I could go out and say, well, you know, I really need another car right now. I've got 139,000 miles on this old Cadillac, you know, and I, the paint's coming off the back and it's got dents and scratches and rust appearing all over the I really need, I mean, look at these other pastors around here. Most of them have these nice newer cars. I really, no, I don't need another car. Whenever I need another car, God will tell me I need another car and God will provide for that other car when I need it. Oh, I could rationalize and say that I need these things, but I don't really need it. You know, we cannot go out and just do our own thing when it comes to me. I'm talking especially specifically right now in stewardship right now. And just going, well, I just wanted another dress. I just wanted another suit. I just wanted this. I, you know, it's been a long time since I've had this. And I just want, but did the Lord give you the freedom to go and do that? That's where a lot of Christians get in trouble with their credit card. Well, I'm just going to buy this on my credit card by faith. Believe God's going to answer it. Meet my needs at the end of the month. Uh, 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 uh. You see, a credit card is totally amoral. It's totally neutral. It can be a blessing or it can be a curse. And then afterwards, God's people many times will say, God didn't, I mean, we went under. We went clear under. Did you charge on your credit card when you couldn't pay it at the end of the month? Well, we had to. I mean, absolutely. I mean, we, no, 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 no. You don't ever have to. You choose to. Whenever you're going to charge something on a credit card, you should be able to have the money and know that it'll be paid before they charge you one cent of interest on it. That's using it as an instrument and as a convenience for you to be able to keep records. But some people absolutely get buried in those things. And if you do, you know, I've got a good recommendation for you to do, have a bonfire. Get rid of every one of them. If you can't handle them, get rid of them. They become a curse to you. I'll tell you one thing, when you start getting in debt like that, you can't expect the peace of God to pass all understanding and keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus if you've done it in disobedience. There came a time when Beverly and I had to get down and say, Father, we have sinned. We didn't see this principle before. We've sinned against you. Would you please forgive us? We will put these things away and never use them again until the time comes. We really know how to use them right. And I wrapped them all up in rubber bands and threw them clear in the back of my drawer. And you talk about fun? That's when we were... Barely, barely making it back there some years ago. Some, some of you weren't around then. But if you think it's bad when you're trying to things on credit cards so you can just keep going, drop those credit cards and then have to live and pay those off. We did a lot of praying and a lot of seeking God's face during that time and told him we were sorry and would he help us. And he did. He helped us get completely out of that mess. But if you can't handle them, don't get into them. That's, that's not faith to go out and spend money and God hasn't shown you you're supposed to do it. And this is something that a lot of Christians don't realize. We talk about, well, I tithe my income. Well, that's, that's wonderful. What you're actually saying is I don't give the Lord anything. I just return what's his in the first place. The tithe is his anyway. If you don't return that, you're a thief, the word of God says. And a curse comes on your income. You'll put money in your pocket. It'll go out through the holes or the moth or rust or something. It'll mess it up if you don't return the tithe. But above and beyond that, by faith, you return in offerings to the Lord. And then, when you've got the rest of us sitting there, say, Now, Lord, give me wisdom and discernment. Don't let me spend one cent of the rest of this outside of your will. Outside of your purpose for my life. This other 90% or 80%, whatever I've got left over, that's yours too. Show me what bills to pay, when to pay them, how to pay them. Show me what we need for the house, not what we want, what we need, and show me the best way to buy it and what would be the most economical way to buy it. Maybe I know some other Christians that can help me be able to get the very best purchase for the, of this thing and be just as concerned about the other 80 or 90% that you've got left over because that was 
God's provision for you too. And when you do it then, then you can begin to expect, my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. If you're obediently spending each dollar that you take in, and then something isn't being met, you say, now Lord, here's the balance that needs to be taken care of. And I could give you so many illustrations, and many of them I have given to you, but I know that I know that I know it works. Absolutely works. Cannot fail. But when you do that with your finances, everything that you purchase, and let me say this again, I hope every married couple hears me again now, Every time, husband, every time you go out and buy something when your wife isn't in total agreement with you, it'll turn into sour grapes. It will haunt you. It'll be an albatross around your neck. You and your wife are one and always have that understanding. Wives, if you go out and take a big spending spree without your husband's approval, it'll come back to haunt you. And you cannot expect God's blessing on something like that. God wants you to be in total agreement on these things. And the reason for that is when you do it, you can have the peace of God concerning that aspect of your life. Now, I just talked about stewardship there, but we're talking about having peace. And peace comes in Him, walking in obedience to what His Word says. How many of you have absolute peace in your heart tonight? It'd be hard to have any more peace than what you've got right now. If there's still something gnawing at you inside... Find out if, if it's doubt, or find out if you have broken a biblical principle. If you have, find out what it is, correct it, commit it to the Lord, and tell Him you're going to operate the biblical principles from now on, and that you want His peace, and it can be yours. God has also promised us joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. John 15, 11. These things have I spoken unto you that, what? My joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Now you have two kinds of joy here. You have his joy and your joy. His joy and your joy. And I'll tell you, when I go around and see some Christians who look like they just step on their lower lip most of the time, you wonder whatever happened to the joy. Jesus promised that you and I could have joy. Some aspects that bring joy is getting answers to prayer. Look at John the 16th chapter and the 24th verse. Take verse 23 with it. And in that day shall ye ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Hitherto ye have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive that you're what? Joy may be full. When Christians find God's purpose for their life, God shows them something he wants to do, and they pray and say, Lord, I just confirm this in my heart that this is what you're saying to me, and you expect an answer to prayer when it comes. He says your joy will be full. Have his joy in your heart. Now, I want you to understand something, that Jesus always expected his prayers to be answered because he was listening to what the Father said to him, and when the Father would give him an indication of what to do, and he would pray about it, it happened every time. John, the 11th chapter, verse 42. You remember Jesus was getting ready to tell Lazarus to come forth? Verse 41, first of all, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. I always know you hear me, Father, when I say something. And see, he didn't even ask Lazarus to come forth until the Father, first of all, said, tell Lazarus to come forth from the grave. Then he said, now, Father, 
And the only reason I'm praying this way is not for my sake, because I know that you hear me, but I want them to be able to hear so they'll know that you're the one that's doing this. He says, I knew that you always hear me. How many times do you think the Lord is hearing you when you're praying? You know, if we regard iniquity in our heart, Scripture says it's just like cutting the wire. God doesn't hear our prayer. If we have doubt and unbelief in our heart, it's just like shutting it all down, because without faith it's impossible to believe Him. We must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And we can't have joy without knowing that God's going to hear us when we talk to Him. Now, let me show you something, though. Joy is based upon a precondition. Joy is based upon and promised based upon another condition. John, the 15th chapter. Brother Webb, I sure don't have any joy. Well, let's see if we find out why. I didn't write this now. John 15, verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If, underscore that word, if, that's a conditional phrase, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you. Now we're talking about joy here. And he said the prerequisite is that you keep his commandments. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, or as much as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. So he says, first of all here, you're to keep his commandments, and secondly, you're to love your brothers and sisters, even as Christ loved them, if you're going to have joy. His joy and our joy, it's through obedience in keeping his commandments. And this promise is available to us. If you really want to have the joy of the Lord in your heart, the joy of the Lord is your strength, by the way. If you want to have the joy of the Lord, then it means we're going to operate and walk in him. We're going to obey his commandments, obey what his word says. You know, there's no more miserable creature on the face of the earth than a Christian who is knowingly being disobedient to the Lord. Sometimes I almost want to walk around like this if I have done something I know I shouldn't do because I almost feel like disobedience is written across my chest when I don't have joy. There's something that I have not done that I'm supposed to do, and it's just, I can't tell you the miserable feeling that it is. It's horrible. You cannot have disobedience in your life, willful disobedience in your life, and have the joy of the Lord. You can't have the peace of the Lord in your heart as long as there's disobedience in your life. But the promise is that we can have joy and peace. And the Lord wants us to have joy and peace. But he says, you must determine whether you're going to experience it or not. You see, that's again an area where it's doubt and disobedience. Doubt and disobedience keeps us from having all that God wants us to have. And no one else can change that but you and me. When you seek me with your whole heart, with your whole heart, you'll surely find me. We're talking about victory over temptation. We got into a lot of verses about that last week. Let me ask you, are you really? You don't have to answer this out loud now, please. But are you really having victory in your everyday life over temptation? Or is it that persistent thing that just keeps coming back, keeps coming back, and keeps coming back? 
It may be anger, it may be lust, it may be worry, it may be anxiety, it may be suspicion, or whatever, whatever it is in your life. Have you found that you're getting victory over those things in your life? Now you answer that first of all. And then the second question is, why not? If you're not. If you're not having victory, why not? The third question is, is it because God is failing? The Word of God says nothing is too difficult for Him. If it isn't the fact that God has failed, then why is it you and I may not be having victory over temptation when God's Word promises we can have victory? And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now, we've got to come down to the nitty-gritty, everyday, elbow-rubbing experience to find out how we can find victory and overcome temptation in our daily walk. Now, if you've already categorized some areas where you're having difficulty right now in overcoming temptation, then let's find out what biblical principles may be involved. Now, let me say that again. Whenever God gives a promise concerning anything, He usually has conditions on it. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and turn from the way, then will I hear from heaven. If they don't turn, if they don't humble themselves, then God is not going to hear from heaven. You see? All his conditions. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. If you don't abide in me and my words don't abide in you, you can talk until you're blue in the face and I don't hear you. And when we're talking about victory over temptation, this is the victory that will come with the world, even our faith, but our faith has to be applied to something. Turn with me to Proverbs, the sixth chapter. There are some Definite things we have to realize that God tells us we can do in order to find victory and to cooperate with God's program. Proverbs, the sixth chapter, verse 27. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Isn't that a strange proverb? What does that mean? If a man picked up some hot charcoal and dumped it inside of his shirt, how many of you know his clothes would be burned? But how many of you know that Solomon is not talking about dumping fire down inside your clothes? Someone said to me, if you don't like the fruit of sin, stay out of the orchard. Think about that for a minute. What it's saying is, if you know that you have an area of difficulty, get away from it. Stay away from it. If you have a problem with lust, watch what you see. Make a covenant with your eyes that you won't look at this. If you have trouble with anger, begin to saturate your mind with the scriptures that have to do with forgiveness. If you have a lot of fears in your life, begin to read the scripture verses that talk about how the righteous are bold as a lion. That the, God says nothing is impossible unto us, that, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. What are you doing? You're beginning to renew your mind to begin to say out of your mouth what God's word says is for you as a believer. If it's worry concerning finances, first of all, find out if you're breaking biblical principles concerning finances. If you owe somebody something and you don't pay them, God's not going to bless you. If you could earn money and make a living that would be better for your family, you can pray until you're blue in the face. Dear God, send us a new car. Dear God, send us some new clothes. Dear God, send us some new furniture. Dear God, he won't even hear you. You know, even in the Garden of Eden, when everything was absolutely perfect, he didn't tell Adam to just sit back on his laurels and wait until the end of the world. He gave him the whole garden to tend, to take care of. And then when Adam fell, as a blessing, I really believe, he said, you're going to earn the, your livelihood out of the sweat of your brow. Work is a therapeutic blessing to mankind because we are goal-reaching people. But I'll tell you, if your goal is to find the easiest way through life, don't expect God's blessing on you. 
It says the steady plodder, the one who is just there, faithful every day, every day, every day, the guy's going to get ahead. Not the guy that folds his hands and says a little slumber, a little sleep. Don't want to go outside, there might be a lion out there, and if I stay in the house, a snake might bite. I'd be better stay back and be, just crawl here in bed and cover up my head. See, that person's going to come to total failure and di disaster. God just failed me. No, you're just plain lazy. Whatever the area of temptation might be, find out what God's Word says are the principles necessary for you to get out of that problem. Now that means that you and I are going to have to fulfill what the Scripture says, study to show yourselves approved unto God. Not opening your mouth like a baby sparrow and say, preacher, stuff it in, it's got to last all week on Sunday morning. But going home and finding out what has been taught and then studying it some more and finding out some more and studying it some more and spending time talking to one another. Thank God for these home Bible studies that have started up. Where they get into the Word and say, well, I see this, I see that, I see that. You know, it's just like steel, sharpening steel. They just keep sparks flying off of each other, but at the same time, they're doing it in love and they're learning. I said it before, I was for five years in the dormitory at the St. Paul Bible College and five years in a row, that's what we went through constantly, end-time prophecies. I mean, Jesus was going to do this and that and the other, and nobody ever settled it. But the one thing they kept saying, you might disagree, but don't be disagreeable. I'll tell you something, if you're saved, when he comes, you're going to go whether you like it or not. He may even come early. He may even come late. But if you're saved, you're going to go anyway. Okay? So we don't have to get up on high cue and jump off the rafters and scream at each other because we might not agree just exactly right. Some may think they're going to go horizontal. Others might think they're going to straight up. Some may, you know, what difference does it make? When he comes, we will go. See that? The only thing he says is you be ready. Be ready when the time comes. I'm not saying you have to belittle the study of it. Now, whatever our temptation might be, I, I want to get that across to you. The scripture there says, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? If you have a problem in that area of lust, get, don't, don't bring things into your house that will cause that to happen. Don't go to, into stores where those things will happen. Don't. Let me tell you something. If you don't want to get burned... Stay out of the fire. Don't pour coals down inside your clothes if you don't want to get burned. Stay away from those areas of temptation. Watch that television set. It can be a monster. You better really control that knob. Sometimes the mute button won't do it. It's going to have to be the off button. And watch it and read what you're going to watch beforehand. Now, I'm only saying that to the people who have problems in those areas. If you've ever had a problem in the past about drinking, well, it would be stupid to go down to a bar and sit and talk to people. Well, I'm going to just test the Lord and see how strong I really am. No, 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 no. Don't, don't do that. That's dumb gone to seed. Whatever the problem is, try to get away from it. All right. I hope you got that point now. Quickly, James 1. James is very clear in telling us about who's responsible if we operate in the area of temptation. Blessed is the man when he endureth temptation, for when he is Tried, and that word actually means approved, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let's go on to 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of the preacher, or I am tempted of the people that work at the job with me. Don't let anyone say, I am tempted of the God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Here it is now, dumping coals of fire down in your clothes. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of what? Underscore those two words, his own, his own lust, and enticed. That means when you begin to disagree with truth, you start going against what the truth says. 
Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Who's he talking to? Christians? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, laying apart all filthiness and overflowing or superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. How many of you know, if you know what the word of God says and you do something opposite of that, you're deceiving yourself? That's what the Word says. Well, I know what the Word says, but that but is deception. Whatever it is. For if any man be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. James says, you Christians, don't ever say God tempted you. If you get tempted, it's because you have, you have decided not to listen to the voice of the Spirit of God, not to listen to what the Word of God itself says. You've decided to turn and satisfy the five senses of the body. God let it happen. No, 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 no. The Spirit of God was there all the time saying, no, don't do that, don't do that. You know, for years, all ever since I was a Christian, I've asked God, dear God, I don't care what it takes at any cost. If you see me beginning to wander, I don't care if you have to knock me down. Do anything you have to, but don't let me go astray at any cost. Don't let me get away from you at any cost. I don't care what it takes, Lord. I don't want to get away from you at any cost. And if I don't listen the first time, get my attention some way. Now, you better be careful when you pray that. Because it might happen. But you know something? It's worth it to me. I don't want to get away from the Lord. What does it say there? When lust hath conceived, it bringeth, verse 15, bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The Word of God says there's a sin unto death. And there's a lot of Christians I think went to the grave a lot earlier than they should have. Because they wouldn't listen to what the voice of the Spirit of God said. God says, I am willing and I am able to give you victory over temptation. But you have to cooperate. Romans, the sixth chapter, beginning with the eleventh verse. It starts off with the chapter saying, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Don't think about it, he says. How can we that are dead to, to sin live any longer therein? If you and I say we're Christians and we still enjoy sin, we're deceiving ourselves. Because when Christ comes into our life, he says we become a new creation, old things die. And everything about us becomes brand new. You say, you mean I'll never sin again? I'll never be tempted? No, it'll mean you'll be tempted, but you'll sense the pulling and the wooing and the working of the Holy Spirit in conviction telling you to get away from that. Flee from it. Don't stick around it. And if you do slip and fall, you get up and you're miserable inside. I, I can't think of anything more miserable on the face of the earth than a Christian who knows they've not been obedient to God's Word if they're genuinely a Christian. Verse 11, Likewise, reckon, now that means count on it in spite of your feelings, Count on it in spite of your feelings. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, 
but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not, now here's the choice again, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Now that's not saying let God keep you from doing it. It says you make a quality decision that sin will not reign in your mortal body. Now you say, well, are you saying you can do it by yourself? No, you come into agreement with God and you resist the devil, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you, the scripture says. Let me say it again, that's the order. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil. You can submit yourself to God all you want to, but if you don't resist the devil, you're not going to win. It's the uniting of the two together. You and God make the majority. And if you and the devil or his workers come into agreement, you're going to fall every time. And God's not going to grab you by the nap of the neck and hit you aside the head of the pop bottle to stop you. You choose whom you will serve. Let not, therefore, sin reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield ye, or give up, you by an act of your will, give up yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. These hands, these eyes, these ears, these lips, these teeth, this whole body now are God's instruments to be used for the glory of God. My body is not my own, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but now Christ lives in me. And the life that I'm now living in the flesh, I'm living by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified. I'm dead. Now, if I'm really, if I were really dead and I was in a casket right here, you could wave money in front of my face. It wouldn't bother me. A beautiful girl could walk by and it wouldn't bother me. The opportunity to buy all of Florida for $50 would walk by and it wouldn't bother me a bit if I were dead. Now, it says that you and I are to die to the things of the world. What does it mean? It don't mean anything anymore. The best example I could ever give was when I got married, I had the names and addresses and telephone numbers of a bunch of girls. And before I got married and before I met Beverly, I talked with them and every once in a while I'd call them and every once in a while I'd go out on a date with them. You know what? I became dead to them the day I became Committed to Beverly. Talked to the same girls. Walked by the same girls. I was dead to them. Hi, how you doing? That's it. What happened? I made a quality decision. That I was dead to them and alive to Beverly. How's that? Is that too difficult to understand? You're dead to the world and alive unto Jesus Christ now. By a quality commitment. What? That's my bridegroom coming for me. I'm the bride. He's the bridegroom. I'm going to keep myself pure for him. I'm not going to become entangled again with the things of this world. My instruments of my body are going to be used as instruments of righteousness for God. I don't know, but that seems very, very simple to me. Is it that difficult? It isn't, is it? Reckon yourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Dead to all the other girls, alive unto Beverly. Dead unto all the other fellows, alive unto my husband. See what I mean? That's the principle. It's the same principle when we become Christians in our commitment to Jesus Christ, if we're going to have victory over temptation. God has promised us, if we'll have the faith to believe, we will be overcomers in our everyday life. Now, let me say it again. If you and I are not, it's not God's fault. We have missed a principle somewhere in His Word. We need to go back and find out what those principles are and begin to apply them. Not being a hearer of the Word, but a doer of the Word. They're the ones that are going to be blessed. Can you take that and, and chew on that this week?